Okay, how observant are you? Did you notice that the good priests are wearing red stoles and then the rest of us are wearing purple? Did you notice that? Why is that? Because yesterday, Father Larry talked to me this morning as if I didn't know, (laughs) that yesterday was St. Andrew's Day, but we commemorate it, of course, today. Now let's talk about that for a moment. Why do we commemorate saints? We don't pray to saints. We're not looking for any favors, but we look for people, and the church has historically looked for people who exemplified what it means to follow Jesus, and we try to follow the example of those things. Uh, and, and so uh, that's the idea of the saints, is to give recognition to those people who are good examples. Now, St. Andrew is known primarily for two things. And we should know, going to a church called St. Andrew's, what the two things that we especially want to emulate or follow the good example of. Known for, he's known for being the first. He's the first one, and when Jesus called it, he dropped everything else. Called it, called him. I, what an example. I mean, think about all the things that the Lord has told us to do and we've forgotten and not paid attention to. The Bible says about Samuel that he didn't let the word of the Lord fall to the ground. Meaning, when God spoke to him, he made it his business to make it a priority. I, I, I try to do this. It, it's easy, though, to not give God the priority that he needs. Not because we're doing crazy things, but because we need to hear his voice and to obey him. And Andrew... The first who was called, uh, he dropped everything and followed the Lord. Now, what is the second thing that Andrew is known for? He brought his brother. So the second thing is he's known for evangelism, but not just any evangelism. When he realized that Jesus was the Messiah, he's like, Jesus, you got to stay right here. I cannot stay with you without going back and getting Peter. So his brother Peter, I mean, he loved Peter so much, he's like, oh, Peter would want to know, and I can't not tell. You know, what a shame. Uh, there's a lot of people that are really hurting. And they really need to know. And it, we need to have the approach of Andrew that we tell people. It's our business at a church to not embarrass you, to make sure, well, you may be embarrassed, but to not embarrass you by being wacky or crazy or this. But if, it, if people could come as visitors, if they're embarrassed, that they'd be embarrassed because we preach what God's Word says and that we live that out. And when we don't, we tell the truth and apologize and repent. All right, that's the kind of church and family that we have. We don't get everything right, though we want to do everything right. But it's really important that we're people of repentance, of commitment, and that when the people around us are hurting, that we bring them, that we bring them uh, to Jesus. And uh, again, uh, if you don't need us, no problem. But if you do, that's what we're here for. Uh, as a family, to help people to draw richly into Jesus' salvation and then learn how to walk and grow in Jesus. All right? So Andrew died a martyr. So saints that died a martyr, their color is red. Father Larry, who's looking so handsome over there, would you stand and show them? That's red. Not sapphire. Not sapphire. That's red. Now stand, keep, remain standing, please. Now he's wearing a chasuble. And a chasuble is the seamless garment. Uh, the idea he was reminding me, he's always teaching. He was reminding me this morning. Actually, I, I didn't know that, I do know a lot about the chasm, but what he told me this morning is something I didn't know, and that is that uh, someone in a book said that the point of the chasuble, which it's very hot, part of the reason, we would be higher church if it weren't so hot in Florida, you know, it just, we sweat so much, it changed our liturgy, but anyway, so uh, 
in the, the chasuble is the seamless garment. And the idea is that as he's up there with that red or whatever color would be in the chasuble, that it's directing our focus to the Eucharist and to the body and blood of Jesus and to the cross. And that's the idea of that. All right? You may sit down. Thank you. I used to be on the priest calendar, Father February, but now they want Larry. They want Larry for all the pictures now. And Father Don. Okay, so that's the first thing. Now the second thing is, it's the first Sunday in Advent. And Advent, you know, in the Anglican Church, remember, we don't have prophecy conferences. I mean, if we have a prophecy conference, it'll be about word of knowledge or about something like that. Because I grew up in a church where, uh, you know, six months of the year was about hell, the other six months was about the rapture. All right, so if you understand the rapture uh, and all that stuff to be what prophecy is about, you won't really hear that in the Anglican Church, at least very few of them. Okay, our prophecy conference is about the fact that the Bible says that Jesus Christ is coming back. And because he's coming back, we are constrained or compelled to live a holy life. So the beginning of every Christian year, we have four Sundays. The first Sunday of Advent is that we should primarily do this key thing. Put off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now the bonus question this morning, how do you put off the works of darkness? How do you change from doing the bad things to doing the good things? How do you put off, metaphorically speaking, the sinful things? Through repentance. We say, oh, when we read God's word and we, we repent, we say, oh Lord, I'm so sorry. And we turn from those things in repentance, and then we also, we should spend at least as much time receiving God's forgiveness as we do repenting, if not more. A lot of people repent, 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 but they never stop. They show by their ongoing repentance without stopping to receive his grace that they don't really believe in the forgiveness part. So we need to be people who repent, but then people who drink profoundly. from the, if, if we would drink from that forgiveness, we would be transformed. All right? So it, yes, we need to repent, but then we need to receive. So that's the first Sunday. Next Sunday is Bible Sunday. We, we can't grow if we don't know God's word. The third Sunday is we thank God for the ministers and people who've been given gifts for the body to grow. And then on the fourth Sunday, we thank God especially for his presence by the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's, we have Pentecost, but we also the fourth Sunday is the power of the Holy Spirit that we've got to have the gifts uh, in the presence of Jesus manifest by the Holy Spirit. We also remember the Eucharist and that in this worship that we do together, the Holy Spirit who who manifests Jesus in our hearts, also comes in the bread and the wine to manifest the presence of Jesus, that we might grow and be nurtured and nourished in him. And so the Holy Spirit comes. I mean, it's funny, my Pentecostal friends, they believe the Holy Spirit will come in tongues, they believe he'll use banners and shofars, but they want to deny that the Holy Spirit manifests the same Jesus in the bread and the wine. Okay? He comes in the bread and the wine. He promises that he would not leave us. He would not leave us, but that he would come again. By the power of his Holy Spirit, he'd be manifest to us in our hearts by faith, through the gifts, and also through the reading of the word. I mean, many, many ways, but also through the bread and the wine. And so it's, uh, of all the people who should be into the Eucharist, it'd be the Pentecostals. Uh, not always the case. In any case, so that's coming for Advent now. Let's, this morning, I want to talk about a little history, because if you don't know the history, you cannot appreciate Matthew 21, which we're going to read. So let me remind you that there were two great captivities of the Jews when God judged the Jews for their idolatry. The first one was the Assyrian captivity, and those of you that were in my Bible classes should remember 
Got some students here from the old days, but it was almost 23 years ago. So if Tracy doesn't remember, we're going to give her a break. Because it was a good class, but it might not have been that good a class. But in 722-721, the Assyrians took the Israelites out in the Assyrian captivity. The Babylonian captivity was in 586-587, which is really, because you're going back to zero, it's really 587-586. But we also had this horrible thing which happened under the Seleucid dynasty. There was four uh, key generals that Alexander the Great turned uh, his kingdom into these four generals, and one was the Seleucid dynasty. And, and the key guy that did the most evil thing other than the cross was a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes. And in 167, after a policy of Hellenization, which is, they thought, they were like the, the modern-day liberals. If we can just educate you, you'll be good. So they first tried for years to come and to teach them Greek and to have them read Greek and read Greek uh, about all their gods and all these different things, and they thought the Jews, like everybody else in the world, if they were properly educated, they would do right. The Jews didn't do right because they believed in God. And so finally, Antiochus Epiphanes, and Antiochus is his name, but Epiphanes means manifest God. Can you imagine taking for your name Antiochus manifest God, Epiphanes? The Jews said he was so crazy, they called him Antiochus Epimenes. And Epimenes means Antiochus the mad. He said, this guy's insane. He's crazy. He thinks this. But because he hated them, he was tired of education. And so he decided, we're going to use force. So what he did was he went into the temple, into the court of the Gentiles, and he turned the various stalls that Jesus is going to cleanse in the story today. He turned them into brothels and he brought prostitutes into there. And he also took the altar from the Holy of Holies and he took it and he uh, sacrificed a pig to Zeus in the temple, and defiled the temple in 167. In three years' time to the day, in 164 BC, the temple was cleansed. Now, how did it get cleansed? Some of you know about Judas Maccabeus. So I want to say, was there nine brothers? Is that right? Or seven brothers? I uh, can't remember how many brothers there were. But there was, it was a big family. Uh, Judas Maccabeus was the third, but he was the biggest, the toughest, and the craziest, apparently, uh, in a good sense, I say crazy. And, and so he was in his priestly rotation up in what is now Samaria, and they had a high place where he was supposed to be representing his priestly office. And what, uh, what Antiochus Epiphanes commanded was that all the Jewish priests would be forced to sacrifice pigs to Zeus wherever they were around the country, not just in the temple. And so there was a cohort, cohort of soldiers there where Judas Maccabeus, Judas the Hammerer was his nickname. Sounds like a defensive end or something, right? Sounds like he's a big guy. But he had to be quick because they, he took the sword that he was supposed to kill the pig with and he killed all of the Greek guards that were there. And they were great soldiers. So Judas Maccabeus slaughtered the guards, guards because he would not slaughter a pig against the true God. And then he and his brothers, a groundswell of people, uh, got up amongst the Jews, and they fought and they destroyed. I mean, here's this incredible emperor of Greece, uh, and he, they destroyed their presence, and for a season, under the Maccabeans, they had a peaceful season until they were crushed again by the Romans. All right, so it's a powerful, powerful story. And Hanukkah celebrates 
the cleansing of the land too. So the, the, the festival of lights is the restoration of the presence of God in the temple. So Hanukkah, you have these days when they were in these battles, they were without oil, and supernaturally, according to Jewish history, uh, we have no reason to discount it. It's not in the Bible, but we have no reason not to believe it. They had a miracle where the oil didn't run out, and they had needed light uh, to fight the Greeks and to cleanse the land, and, and, and they had it. And so that's what Hanukkah is all about. By the way, of course, Hanukkah is a Jewish religious festival, remembering the Maccabeans, okay? But there's nothing in Hanukkah that a born-again Christian or a follower of Jesus can't also cheer on and celebrate, meaning there's nothing exclusive. It was before the time of Christ, and, uh, you know, so I always, I'm very sincere in my happy Hanukkahs, and I remember Judas the hammerer, and I remember the story, and, and it's a wonderful thing. There's nothing wrong with that, and God bless, uh, of course, uh, all the Jews. We continue to pray for the peace in Jerusalem. All right, now, so that's the background. Now, when they did that, and they cleansed the temple in 164, uh, what they did was they took off their robes and they made a way. They said, Hosanna, God save us now. Hosanna in the highest. And they did all these things to cleanse the temple in 164. The very things that happened when Jesus, so it was a rededication temple in 164. Now Jesus, on the very date of the rededication of the temple, he comes to cleanse the temple Okay, and that's what we're looking on in Matthew chapter 21. So the things of him riding in. Now, the Maccabeans, they rode the horses. They were there for war. They had armor. They had, they had uh, swords and spears and all those things. Judas comes in, and where's ever Annie? Uh, I always say, you know, like it, today, if somebody ran, you know, came into town in a Humvee, you'd think maybe this guy's looking for, for trouble, as opposed to Annie driving around peacefully in her VW bug. All right? So to come in on the donkey is to come in in an animal of peace, uh, no weapons and all that, all right, as opposed to coming in on a horse, white horse, looking for war, looking for trouble. Uh, it, that's not what it was. So Jesus is telling us something even about that. The other thing, of course, is that he, in the Hebrew, in Zechariah, this is the last detail, and then we're going to read the story. In Zechariah 9.9, it talks about a donkey, the cult, of a, the cult or foal of a donkey. In Hebrew, there's a parallelism, meaning that is talking about one animal, a donkey, a colt of a donkey, meaning even a don meaning it's referring to the same one donkey. What the writer, what Matthew does in Matthew chapter 21, is he takes the prophecy from uh, Zechariah 9.9, and he says, a donkey mean the mother, and then the son, the colt, the male son that Jesus rides upon. Now, I have never broken a horse or a donkey, but we have some people here who have. And apparently, I'm just telling you from what I read, apparently, if you were to ride on a donkey for the first time, you would be wise to have it close to settle it down, to have his mother there with him, all right? And so apparently, to those who know such things, it's obvious why the mother was there, even though he read, rode for the first time on the colt, which was the foal of the donkey. So Matthew takes this Greek prophecy and he takes it where it was the parallelism referring to one, and he tells the story using it that Jesus fulfills it in a way different than what Zechariah was thinking of. Okay? We tracking it all. You all look confused. I hope we didn't. Antiochus Epiphanes. All right. Here we go. Matthew 21. Let's look at the story. Now, when, Jesus, when, when, when they cleansed the temple in 164, the Jews were cleansing it from pagan Gentile influence where they desecrate the temple. 
When Jesus cleanses the temple, this is the last thing, when Jesus cleanses the temple, he's cleansing it from Jewish religiosity and legalism and restoring it to a place of light and salvation to the Gentiles. So it's also an interesting foil, what Jesus is doing in the story. All right, here we go, Matthew chapter 21. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there. Now, did he know supernaturally that the donkey and the colt was over there? He well may have. This could be that. But he also might have set it up. We just don't know. All right, so uh, the text doesn't say for sure how it happened. He could have humanly set it up and said, I'm going to need this, and the owner said, fine. Or he may have done it supernaturally. Either way, we're fine. The text isn't clear. All right? Go to the village over there, verse 2. He said, as soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anybody asks what you're doing, just say, the Lord has needs them, or has needed them in the King James. Uh, and he will immediately let you take them. Okay. This took in place to fulfill the prophecy that said, from Zechariah 9.9, Tell the people of Jerusalem, or the daughters of Zion, it says in Hebrew, Look, your king is coming to you. He is humble or gentle, riding on a donkey. Riding on a donkey's colt. All right, now, again, in Hebrew, that last expression, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt, is referring to the colt, not the mother. In the Greek here, we have it, he's explaining it, ah, the mother, he's separating, he's giving us more information than what Zechariah knew or could tell us. All right, so Jesus is coming in on the very feast of the rededication of the temple. Here he is coming in. Now, the two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on them. In Greek, it's them meaning on the garments. He did not sit on two. He didn't try to straddle the mom and the colt. Now, you laugh, and you should laugh, but you know that there are liberal scholars who try to say that the text is wrong. That's what it's trying to say. In Greek, the pronoun them is reflecting to the, the object, which is the garments. He didn't ride the mother and the son at the same time. He just sat on the garments. That's what's referring, that he rode on top of the garments. All right? So... Eight, most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of them. Some of them, like me, probably were sweaty and they didn't carry an extra garment. Some of you are cold. You come here with your coats and you're ready for skiing. Then there's people like me that if I could, I'd be in shorts and a t-shirt because I'm always hot. Some people didn't have their garments, so they cut the palm branches because they were ushering in. The idea is the picture is that they're ushering in the presence of God at the rededication of the temple. Now, they had no idea. When they did this, on what we call Palm Sunday, that they were ushering in the presence of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ in a way even bigger than they thought. They're playing a rehearsed script that they knew about the rededication of the temple. Somehow they got caught. You ever see people that kind of get a hold of something but they don't really know what it is? Something was happening with the presence of God, what Jesus was doing, and, and people got a hold of it, and they, and, and, and they do the very thing that they all knew in their mind was the history of what happened on this day but they had no idea the fullness of how it was that Jesus was bringing his presence back to the temple. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him. Others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was at the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting. 
Can you imagine like Andrew, the feeding of the five, like they get a, a little glimpse and, and they start to say, praise God for the, for the son of David. Meaning we're looking for God to manifest deliverance through a human being. That's why they call son of David. Okay, so like we know there's God, he's all his power, but we're looking for a son of David to come and to cleanse the house and, and, and to heal our land and to get rid of the Romans. And, and that's where the thing, and they start to say these prophecies. Again, not fully understanding how Jesus was in fact fulfilling those things. Blessed on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Now, I hate to say it, but this is New Living, but the King James, the NIV, none of those translations do this word justice. This word for uproar is the word we get seismic, like seismic activity. What it means is that the city was troubled like an earthquake. Do you get that feel with uproar? Uproar just doesn't sound. Now, maybe we had more mob violence, we would appreciate it. All right? Because that's what uproar is trying to say to us. But it's like, imagine an earthquake that the whole city knew something was going on, even though they didn't perceive what it was. Who is this? They asked. And the crowds replied, it is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Wow, people are getting caught up. Maybe some of you this morning don't know him well yet but you're feeling the trembling of things. And God has led you here because he wants you to know him as your Savior and Lord and to live for him and, and to experience life and abundantly. And just somehow you're, you're sensing something. We've had people say, oh, the si- I saw the sign. I've been going by for work. And, this, and, and, and the Lord's drawing me in. Maybe you don't know what all it is, but, but the Lord's at hand. Thank you, Lord. So then Jesus clears the temple. Now, to clear the temple presuppose there's something bad that's going on in the temple. And I want to talk about that for a moment. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. What does this mean? And this is one of the key things the Lord impressed upon me to tell you this morning. Jesus was cleansing cleansing the temple from both the people who would presume to buy and the people who would sell. We typically think about the people that were ripping them off. The custom of the Jews were, was that you couldn't buy any of the pigeons or the lambs or things that you needed for sacrifice except for you use like temple currency. So they would rip you off trading your pesos or your dollars or your marks or whatever it was or your euros. They would rip you off coming and going as you would transfer your money into the coinage of the temple so that you could buy the sacrifice. So they would had super expensive, you know, a normal pigeon, you know, if it went for 10 cents, they were selling it for $10. It was like going to Disney. I mean, I mean, you know, you're getting a lemonade and it's 12 bucks or something. Okay, it's the same kind of thing, except for Disney, it's a commercial enterprise. It doesn't presume. Well, for some people, it is like a religion. That's another story of another day. But it wasn't, it wasn't a temple or a church. So they got you coming on. They're getting to you on the transaction fees. They're getting all this. All right. So today we have what's called transactional religion. Or this is my, I'm going to call it. I don't know that I've ever read that, but I'm going to give you this. Transactional religion. We find this particularly in parts of Pentecostalism. And we love the power of God, and we love the Pentecostals, but let me tell you something. There is a teaching that's been going on for years, 20, 30, 40 years, that says, if you give an offering, God will give you something. As if we could buy and sell the anointing or the healing of God. And, and he's not just upset. Jesus doesn't want to cleanse the temple just of the people who are selling. He says there's a lot of people who are buying. 
Do you know that a lot of these ministries, that we, we say all oh, these pastors and people are so bad, but the truth of the matter is, their churches are full of people who rather than living holy and following Jesus with their whole life, would rather pretend that if they give a good offering, they're going to get God's favor and blessing. They're living as if Christianity and the blood of Jesus is part of a pyramid scheme. We're in a day that we really need Jesus to clean the church. Now, I'll be honest with you, that's not our sin, so we're going to say it real loud. But you know what our sin is in the Catholic Church, the Anglican Church, and the Lutheran Church? We don't know how to worship with our giving just to do the things that God deserves. So you've got people who exploit money and exploit the church on the one hand, and it's buying and selling, and it's the prostitution of the power and anointing of God. What could be worse? Well, if there could be something worse, it would be the people of God don't understand what it means to worship God. You know, I mean, I get enough sense to know that Susie means everything to me. If Susie wants a new pair of shoes, sorry, you know, baby needs a new pair of shoes. Susie, and she's got a bunch of them. Let's just say, even if she doesn't need any more shoes for the rest of her life, if she wants shoes, I am glad to spend my money. You know why? We spend our money on what's important to us. There's nothing more important than Susie and Joy and John Carl in my economy. We're part of a dead church system where our fathers and generations and maybe even us don't understand that our tithes and offerings are how we express worship and that because God has given us everything, it's the only reasonable response. We don't check up on people. We don't care. We're not going to judge you. You're not going to get services or better treatment. But giving is worship. Giving is an expression on what's valuable to you. If we're materialists and we're living in debt and all this other stuff and there's no money for God, it tells you something. It tells you that our idols is stuff. And we're being exposed just as much as those people who are trying to turn the anointing of God into an, a commodity of transactional religion. So we're going to point the finger this morning and say, look, it's okay to recognize what we see in all kinds of places of church. It ain't right. But then don't, either should we pass over. That we're coming from an equal and opposite problem, that we don't value God like we say with our lips. You would not look at our checkbook and find out, or our debit cards, or our accounts. You would not find, in many cases, that God has the priority of our life like we say he does. There's a need for the cleansing of the temple. Let me tell you something. We need desperately for God to cleanse the temple. There's only one thing. I heard this originally from Mike Patz. I forget where we were. We were one of our trips together. We took some trips together many years ago. And he said to me, oh, excuse me, this is Todd. And it wasn't, it wasn't Mike. My friend Todd Atkinson. He said to me, Ron, you know, the Bible only says Jesus was zealous for one thing. His house, the temple. You know, a lot of us, we think, oh, the church is so screwed up. Let's just go do something else. That's not an option because the church is the body of Christ. The only option we have is that we must purify the church and do all that we can so the house of God reflects the kingdom of God. We can't just start over and come up with a new thing. We don't have that option because Jesus is zealous for us. But let me tell you something. We need to be praying for God to come and do what he promised to do. What happened in the temple as soon as Jesus cleansed the temple? Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling. He was upset with the sellers and the buyers and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables. By the way, sometimes people say, oh, I remember in the early days 
We had people telling us not to let people come into our church. They used to say to me, bring them to Christ, but they're not good Anglicans. Send them to other churches. And I said, there is not a chance that I'm going to do that. If Jesus sends people to St. Andrews, we're going to love him and receive him as a gift from God. They said, oh, you're losing your temper. You better believe I'm going to lose my temper, uh, temper about uh, telling people that they're not welcome in our church. Are you kidding me? Are you, are you kidding? And, and so I, I would get upset and they'd say that, that, that I was a bad priest for getting upset. I thought, what kind of priest wouldn't be upset if you're telling people they're not welcome in the house of God? Now I say I'm a hillbilly, but I say it respectfully. Only the worst kind of priest wouldn't be upset. Jesus was upset. It's possible to be angry and to sin not. Our Lord sat down in the synoptic gospels. He corded, braided the cord deliberately, purposefully, and then he cleansed the house. A lot of us might be uncomfortable with a Jesus who has a no-nonsense streak, but there's no man who's a man who doesn't. And I trust there's no woman who also doesn't in their own way. Is your Jesus too Mr. Rogers-ish? God bless Mr. Rogers. God bless him. But I just want you to know, Mr. Rogers doesn't look like Jesus. I can assure you of that. And God bless Mr. Rogers. He knocked over the tables. Do you mean he made a mess? Can you imagine? Jesus made a mess. Do you mean they had, to, they had to find their money? They had to find, he's making a mess. Jesus was comfortable making a mess. It's not this sanitized, mamby-pamby, that's not what it's like. Knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, the scripture declared, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you've turned to a den of thieves. Meaning, you've made it a safety place for nonsense and corruption and evil, and the buyers and sellers are more welcome than the presence of God. Now, my house will be a house of prayer. Remember this. What this means is that worship, true worship, when it happens, has two rhythms. The ascending of prayers and the descendings of presence, the presence of the Lord. Some of us, we're ready to rush out. And, and listen, some of you got families and you go to other churches. God bless you. But let me explain something to you. The reason we do all that we do isn't to get done. It's to experience and encounter the presence of God manifested by his spirit. It's not done after the thanksgiving. It's not done after... All the things that we do are there so we can encounter the living God. If you have it in your mind that the reason you come is just to take communion, though communion, I believe in, I think it's a powerful thing. But all those things are so that we would experience the person and work of Jesus manifest by the Holy Spirit of God. That's what I love about the Pentecost. I mean, beating up on them early, but let's, let's say what I love about them. The Pentecostals know we haven't been to church if the Holy Spirit hasn't shown up. Now, the blind and the lame came. Now, 2 Samuel 5.8 seemed to indicate, and the Jews thought that the blind and the lame were not welcome in the house of God. And they used it as a thing. That's not, 2 Samuel 5.8 doesn't say the blind and the lame weren't welcome. Uh, and the Jews eventually taught that they were welcome, they were allowed to come, but they were not obligated to come because they were blind and lame. So it may be harder for them to get there. 
But originally, people interpreted 2 Samuel 5.8 as if the blind and the lame weren't welcome, which was never what was intended. In this situation, Jesus does all this, and who's in the court of the Gentiles, the blind and the lame? They're already there. He didn't say, oh, they didn't let you come in, now you can come in. The sick, the imperfect, the messed up. He, not, they, they were there. But here's the difference what happens when Jesus shows up. The blind and lame came to him in the temple. They were already there. And he healed them. When Jesus is back in the house, healing and the manifestation of the Spirit will happen in the most regular, normal, supernatural, in the most natural way. Do you know that we've seen this? We've seen it in India. I've seen it in Chad. I've seen it all over. <coughs> Do you know there was a time at St. Andrews? Back in the early, we were in this building, so it must have been about April, March, sometime in 2001. That we were praying for the sick at the Eucharist on Sunday morning. And so many people were getting healed that the lines for coming up took the service an extra 30, 40, 50, 60 minutes on Sunday morning. Now some good people, they were not bad people. They loved the presence of God. I was a young priest and I wasn't very smart. I may not have improved a whole lot in the years, but I wasn't smart then and, and maybe I'm not much smart now, but I learned this one. And the people said, it's distracting to have all this healing going in the church. It's taking too long. And they said, Ron, why don't you just move the healing to Wednesday nights? And I said, okay, sure. They were good people. I didn't ask God. I, I listened to the people, and they weren't bad people. They just weren't people that thought about what it means and how exciting it is that the presence of God was coming and that kind of power. In less than a month of moving the healing part of the service from Sunday morning to a Wednesday night, the power of God left the church. On three separate occasions in the last 23 years, the Holy Spirit was trying to come into this church and I impeded him. I didn't realize what I was doing, I can assure you. But one of the reasons we pray for the sick every Sunday is I told the Lord, Lord, if you ever come back, if you ever come, we're going to give you space to work. We get drips and drabs, and the Holy Spirit heals people. This last week, my sister, who was supposed to die, she had breast cancer, went through her breast, into her spine, into her bones, she was supposed to die a year ago, September. Uh, about some, either earlier November or in October, she had a test, and it looked like the cancer had come back. So they had to take her in, test her again, and give her a CAT scan just last week. The results were that whatever happened, no, her numbers had not gone. They were accelerating good, and there's hardly any indication in her cells that there's any cancer anywhere. But when they did the CAT scan that was full in her spine of cancer, they cannot find a trace of cancer. Do you understand? That's, that's normal. That's normal in the kingdom of God. <coughs> we're not, I mean, it's incredible. And we're not taking it lightly. But the first thing that happened when Jesus takes back his right place in the church 
is that the power of God will return. If you don't begin to long for a new day, part of faith is longing for things to be like the Bible says they will be. Thank you. I mean, if you think, oh, it's just great. I go to church, I feel great, feel, I feel love. That's all great. Some people say, oh, it's a more loving church than other church. Great. But let me tell you something. I don't want anything less than that. But I can assure you, the day will come in this church that we, the present, people will be coming those doors and the Holy Spirit will be touching and healing them. Because of Jesus. I've seen it here and messed it up. Humanly speaking, messed it up. I'll tell you one other. When we first, we were still working at uh, Seven Day Adventist where we built this church. We had 20, 30 people. And they're all sitting in the first four rows. The day they'd all be sitting in the back. But anyway, they were all in the first couple rows. And that church, uh, the Sunday Adventist church, because they worship on Saturdays, they rented it out. I was following the crucifer on that particular day, but I was probably at least as far back to the front of the church as those red doors. And all the people were up here, and they were singing to an organist. You've never heard a worse organist in your life. She said it was the organ, but let me tell you something. When we got a new organist, the organ was miraculously healed. <laughs> That's another thing for another day. We had all kinds of... All right, so I'm in the back. I'm coming up the aisle. And the Holy Spirit hit me and bent me over to the point where I did not think I could stand. Now, I told the story, and this is so dear. I said, uh, I didn't think anybody saw me. And come to find out, I guess they did. I, I don't know that they thought. My hunch, I felt like if they saw me, they're going to call it ambulance. They don't realize what it is. And foolishly, I said, Lord, don't stop. They're not going to understand. Can you imagine being so foolish that I thought I should tell God when he should manifest his presence and his power? There's another. We'll share another time. But I want, I want you to know. When we let Jesus clean the house, you can't stop the power of God. We don't have to be begging him to do what he promises to do. We will be a church that thanks God in advance. We will ask him to do what he promised to do, and he will simply do it. We've seen, I've seen it around the world, but I've even seen it for a season in this church. He loves us. Nothing would thrill him more to find a group of people who made it their business to honor the presence of God. That's, where, that's what we're waiting for. I'm, I've been treading water for 23 years. I don't have any great plans. I don't got any big five-year agenda. My agenda is to pray until the Holy Spirit comes back like he showed me he wanted to come. That is my plan. What's my 10-year plan? My, it's the same plan I got for next Sunday, for Monday, Tuesday... I, the only thing that I care about is the presence of God. I say all this because we've got to long for, we've got to recognize that we're not where we want to be. I don't think we're far. The grace has been there. The blood has been shed. But there's something in us that together 
the Lord is inviting us together to begin to long for what he promises. We need to come to church. I'm using an expression I just heard at a funeral a couple weeks ago, uh, but, but this is what he said. We need to come to church with unreasonable expectations. That the, the cancers will lead, the hearts will be healed, the knees are better, the back, the marriages, uh, the demons are fleeing. Meaning, that's how we should become the church. Not just every now and then, not doing a revival service. That, that is the norm, that we come to church, and because we're together as a people of God, Jesus is manifesting his presence. And in his presence, what happens? There's fullness of joy. Why are people so full of joy in the presence of Jesus? Because when Jesus is present, our hearts are tuned and calibrated to heaven, and heaven invades the earth, and he heals and cleanses and sets us free and makes us more like Jesus. And nothing could make us more full of joy than that. That's why we're here. Would you stand? Lord Jesus, we long for you. Oh, Lord, I pray that these people that I love so much and I've learned from so much and, and, and Lord, you've knit our hearts together and, 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 and we're together in this thing, but Lord, we need the grace of the Holy Spirit and of Jesus to change us, Lord. That we would begin to long for you and for unreasonable things in this place, that this could be place, a place of the heavens opening and a needy and a broken world being able to encounter the living God right here. Lord, we don't pray just for St. Andrews and not all the other churches. We pray for the Baptists, the Presbyterians, the Methodists, the Catholics. We pray for all the churches, Lord. Oh, but Lord, we pray would you come here. Lord, I pray that you'd give us a glimpse like the people on Palm Sunday, a glimpse that maybe somehow things could change and it could be like the Bible says. Oh, Lord Jesus, that's what we want, and nothing else will do. We don't just want a big church. Lord, if the church grows or doesn't grow, we don't care. But, Lord, we want to be the best possible people, the best followers of Jesus. We want to be the people with the answers because we're a church that prays, not because we're particularly smart. Lord, we want to raise our children and our grandchildren to be healers and deliverers, Lord, and gospel preachers and holy livings, and we want to see marriages, and Lord, Lord we, we, there's just so much. Lord, we want a love that, that solves the, the racial problems and the economic, that there be a love here amongst us. Oh, Lord Jesus, we pray. We ask for these things because you're such an incredible God. Oh, help us to believe. And, and, and Lord, we pray that you would move and get us in a place that we could receive these kind of blessings of your presence. We ask these things in the wonderful and the precious name, the name above every name, the name of Jesus. And in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, let's just be still in this prayer. Lord, we pray, oh, Holy Spirit, come. We've asked you, now we thank you. Oh, we thank you. Oh, it'll never happen because we're good enough. It won't be because we have so much faith. Our faith grows in the encounter with you, Lord, we pray. But as humbly as Lord, here we are. Here we are, Lord.
let the people around you ask Jesus to come. We don't need any big, long, fancy prayers. Just ask the Lord Jesus to come. Just say, it's my knee or it's my back or it's my ribs, whatever it is. And, and just as the people of God manifest in the presence of God. Oh, Lord Jesus, come. permission to move. hopelessness. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that we don't deserve it getting better, but, but you fully intend to invade our marriages, Lord, and to heal. Lord, would you give us humility to understand our part and to trust you for the spouse? Oh, Lord Jesus, show us, Lord, what we need to see. Lord, help us to be faithful. Oh, Lord Jesus, would you bless our children? for our singles, Lord, would you minister them, Lord, in particularly with any loneliness. Lord, would you give them a grace to be holy in a world that's so unholy. Would you strengthen them, Lord? Would you protect them in a special way because they're part of this family and as married and single, we're praying for each other. If you're praying, continue. Continue. thing and pray about it, but Jason just asked, has the church forgive me for resisting the spirit? That would be great. It certainly isn't going to hurt. Uh, uh, so would you pray and ask the Lord to forgive me as a leader for resisting the Holy Spirit? That would be fantastic. I like it. Yes, Lord. Just pray it out loud. Don't be, maybe, maybe three people would pray or 50. That would all be good. Don't be bashful. Stay it out loud. Thank you.
surely, Lord, I sinned in holding you, resisting you. Lord, I've, I've repented, but Lord, I, again, yes, Lord, I receive. And Lord, I thank you for these wonderful people, Lord, who know my heart, but I thank you for their forgiveness because surely I need it. Surely. Father, in the name of Jesus, we speak forgiveness for Bishop Ron and for every other one of us, Lord, that has ever resisted you, Holy Spirit, from coming into this place. For every instance where we didn't know what was going on and we care more about what people thought about us than just let you be God, we ask for forgiveness and we stand forgiveness to each other. And Lord, we believe in you to be the one that cleanses the temple. And your word says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So I ask you today to come and cleanse each one of our hearts. Whatever is in our hearts, Lord, that is resisting you, whether it's a generational or personal, Lord, I ask that the same with the same zealous that you use, Lord, to cleanse the temple in Jerusalem, you will come today. And chase away from our hearts anything that is not representing you. Everything that is not bowing the knee to the Lord of Lords, to the King of Kings, to Jesus Christ, Jesus Messiah, the true Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We want clean hearts, clean temples to be able to see you, to receive you, and to worship you the way that you are worthy to be worshipped in Jesus' name. Where's Jackie? Is she here? Come here, dear. Would you pray over this time? Miriam, that was great. I was actually thinking of you. I was actually thinking, I wonder what Miriam's thinking. And here you pray. Jackie is my main intercessor who prays just for me, which is a full time. She used to be seven foot tall. And, uh, but anyway, would you pray over our congregation as we transition? But. These are really important things. And, hmm. Lord, you've made our hearts desire you and uncomfortable without more of you. Lord, you are bringing us, each one of us, into very painful old things that would cause us to keep our hearts unfeeling so we don't feel the pain. Lord, have mercy 
and make each one of us realize that we have to go through this door to have more of you. Lord, you said on Tuesday when we were having communion, I am the door. I am the door. I am the door into the very deepest places of Father's heart. Oh, Lord, come, come, come. Cause hunger and thirst to fall on each one of us because none of us literally wants to spend time any other place than in the most holiest of all. There with you and Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So everything that would distract, Lord, teach us not to bow the knee to that, but to come deeper, deeper, deeper into you because that's your invitation and that's your heart's cry. Oh, Lord, come. I ask you to forgive me, too, for everything that has kept me from going deeper to you because long ago, long ago, you said that whatever I needed to pay the cost for, you paid the greatest cost, but whatever the cost was that would keep me from being deeper with you, that you would help me get there, that you would pay the price. Praise your name, Lord. Praise your name. Come, come and cause there to be deeper desire. Glory to your name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now listen, as the Spirit falls, sometimes he comes in tears. Sometimes he comes in joy. Sometimes he comes in quietness. Believe it or not, in the 1800s, the Holy Roller thing, regular people, the Holy Spirit would throw them around. He comes in many ways. The question isn't what or why, but who. If it's God, we're all for it. All right? I know Susan, and I, I'm quite certain the Lord's touching her. We'll continue with the uh, uh, offering, but let's continue to pray also. Who knows how the Lord may break through in this service?